Oh, sci-fi fans, this is Clifton Collins Jr., and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Live long and prosper. Bad feeling about this. Because I'm turning away from the things that I want to believe in. This is going to get pretty interesting. Define interesting. Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die? Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Did I fall asleep? For a little while. You are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. And now, from the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, here are your hosts. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, the place where we are boldly going where no one has gone before, talking about Star Trek Eleven a week before it releases, and what we're looking forward to, what we're anticipating. We are looking for an awesome, awesome show tonight. My name is Scott Herzog. And I am Miles P. McLaughlin. We are your hosts for the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast tonight, but we will not be the only ones here. Miles, who else do we have on the show tonight? I am stoked. Uh, we, we are going to have um, Jayden Ward. And um, who we had on the show uh, yep. before we had on the show, uh, a Star Trek author, all around great guy, uh, Kevin Gilmore, another another Star Trek author, great guy and D- DVD geeks, uh, Televix and uh, a Mary. And uh, this is going to be we're getting together. And we're going to talk about the new Star Trek movie. Yeah. And uh, and I think of the only one that has probably seen that DVD has been Mary. She got it yesterday and uh, the Televix and we're uh, excited to hear what she has to say about it. Yeah, she'll be good letting us know. Uh, what what all the extras are on this DVD? Yeah, and what we can look forward to. She's kind of a semi regular on the show, so it's kind of good to have her back on. So that's Absolutely. the menu. That's the menu tonight. You know, we're just going to talk about Star Trek Eleven. We're also going to, uh, yeah, that's it. Star Trek Eleven. Uh, you can buy that through our store or, or my sci fi store dot com. I believe that's about it, right? Yep. Can't wait till we talk to our our guests. Yep. Uh, we're going to meet with them just after the break. And we'll bring them in right away. We'll catch you on the flip side. Listen up, Topaz. You know, see, it's like, hey, I still got a little Star Trek in me. I'm built up mid-24th century civilian clothing. Well, next time you see a guy that looks like Wolverine, poke me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Highball and cocktail. Highball and cocktail. Oh, God. This is getting bad. You're listening to Trekcast, the Star Trek podcast, www.trekcast.com. Listen to Trekcast, it'll save your virtual life. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sci Fi Diner podcast. We, of course, are here tonight to discuss Star Trek Eleven, the DVD release. And as you know, my name is Scott, and with me is Miles. Miles, you there? I am here. And uh, let's go around the other uh, three people. Dayton, why don't you get us started? Hello, everybody. My name is Dayton Ward, and, and Star Trek fans who follow the the pocketbooks fiction will recognize me as a writer or co-writer of several Star Trek novels. There you go. I'm also a full-time nerd and a functional curmudgeon. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Mary, go ahead. I am Mary, uh, better known as the Televixen, and I am on a podcast and radio show called DVD Geeks, where we review DVDs, and I often end up talking about Star Trek, and usually our audience is tired of it, so I'm glad I am here to talk with you, fellow geeks. Yeah, a bigger, wider audience now, this peak about mm-hmm. Star Trek. And uh, Kevin, go ahead. 
My name is Kevin Gilmore, and if you follow the Pocketbooks novels, you'll see my name usually appended to Dayton's uh, on uh, the majority of our works. Uh, I also work with the Star Trek license in conjunction with my job at Hallmark Cards. Oh, good, good. <laughs> I'm glad to see Hallmark's picking up a Star Trek. Woo! There, no, there. actually, Hallmark's been connected to Star Trek since uh, uh, the early 90s with its uh, ornaments, and even before that, I think, for uh, card product. Oh, great, great, great. And here I thought you were being just facetious, but... No, 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 this is, this is perfectly legit. All right, awesome, awesome. Well, uh, Mary, you are the only one that has, uh, I guess, seen the DVDs. Do you want to get the ball rolling? Sure, why not? Um, well, I was hoping to get the uh, limited edition replica gift set. But of course, I, 90 bucks. You can't beat it. I know. Come on, bring it on. <laughs> but I'm actually here to talk about the two-disc uh, special edition with the digital copy. So it's the standard def, regular DVD, uh, widescreen. And it's a two-disc set, like I said. And there's special features broken up on both, both discs. Um, and uh, it has a lot of deleted scenes, 10 of them total with optional commentaries with J.J. and Alex Kurtzman and Roberto Orsi and, and the gang, Damon Lindenloff. Um, there's also a bunch of featurettes, uh, about four featurettes on the first disc. And then on disc two, you get the commentary. And then a featurette called New Vision, which is uh, a 19-minute uh, featurette about the influence of Star Wars and uh, just using real locations. There's an awesome gag reel. Um, which actually opens with a uh, uh, opening with Chris Pine doing the Space the Final Frontier speech, which is cool. And then there's your generic previews. So, I mean, we can get into the features a little bit more, but that's the basic overview. And you get the digital copy, which you can put on your, your iPhone or on your computer. Very cool. So uh, what are you guys looking forward to in this DVD that's coming out? Or what are you guys, what are you thinking when you think of the DVD? What are you hoping for, et cetera? I don't care who speaks first. Just jump in. Well, well, I'll go first. I think I'm going to uh, end up buying a Blu-ray player just to check out some of the stuff. It's, Star Trek may be the one release. That and the uh, uh, Blu-ray versions of the original series is going to be what pushes me over the edge to buy a Blu-ray. So I was a little disappointed that Mary didn't get a chance to see the Blu-ray version. But that's the thing that I'm looking forward to is just to be able to experiment with that format. Definitely. I mean, if, if you're looking to buy a Blu-ray player, this would be the reason to get one for sure. This and maybe like The Wizard of Oz that came out a few weeks ago, which is amazing. So, um, you know, there are good features here, though, for people who don't have Blu-ray players. Um, it's definitely not a bare-bones edition. It's, it's worth the money um, if you can't afford a Blu-ray player right now. Now, what's on the Blu-ray that would make it a notch above the, the standard two-disc edition? Well, I mean, for old school Trek fans, um, there's a featurette about Gene's vision, and it has, you know, people like Mike and Denise Akuda, uh, Rick Berman, and Nick Myers talking about, you know, Gene's Star Trek. And um, there's much more detail about uh, the planets that we see in the film, the props and costumes. Um, there's there's a, a little featurette about the Shatner conundrum and uh, why, or the, why they didn't put him in the movie and such. Um, but they couldn't. He's dead, right? What was that? They couldn't. He's dead, right? Yeah. But he could get uh, better. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it I'm is trying a... to figure out how many people have stayed dead in Star Trek. <laughs> right, exactly. So far, Especially it's... all the books, as you guys know. <laughs> yeah, so far, it's done, if you count the books or in comics and everything else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> 
But I think overall, too, with the Blu-ray is you just get better swag with it. There's three discs instead of two, and one of the addition, the um, discs come in the actual saucer, and there's all kinds of little, you know, nice packaging that you don't get with the standard DVD. So if you're a true collector, you're going to go for the Blu-ray. Absolutely. Yeah. I think one of the sets that's Blu-ray has the metallic pins that they had on their uniform tunics. They've got like uh, four different ones that come with it. Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's the a Best one Buy. That you can get at Best Buy, yeah. And then there's yeah. one you can get at Target, which is the one I mentioned that the discs come in the saucer of the Enterprise. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, uh, Dayton, what are you looking forward to in these? Well, I'm, you know, I'm... I'm as far as features go and, and it comes to deleted scenes, I'm usually in the in the camp that scenes were deleted for a reason. But in this case, you know, we know that several expository scenes were, were trimmed from the cut that we got in the theater. And I'm really interested to see how those kind of amp up the backstory for Nero um, and maybe some early stuff on Spock that we that we know is there because we read the novelization or we saw those scenes leaked or something. But I'd like to see that, and I would really wish that I really wish they had put a version on the DVD that has a branching feature so we can put those scenes back in. But uh, well, I'm not going to argue. Is, uh, yeah. is there's actually commentary with those deleted scenes cool. that yeah. you can kind of place them in the actual film where they should have ended up? That's and cool. uh, yeah, it's pretty neat. Yeah, I, I, yeah, was, I mean, you know, normally. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Normally, yeah. I'm you know I'm okay with with when you know okay I can see why that scene got deleted or I know why that one got trimmed. And once mm-hmm. in a while, I, I I go that one would have been nice to have in the movie, but uh, this one you know I know and I know why he cut some of those scenes out. He was really trying to amp up the pacing, and I can't fault him for that. I just would like to to see you know in the context of with the commentary you know why he trimmed them and and, and if he had made the decision to put them back in for a director's cut on the DVD you know, where they would have gone. Yeah, it would be it'll. So I'm looking forward to that part. I think mostly. Right, right. I think that it's always cool when the when you have the option to add those scenes back into the movie and watch it, you know, in, in its full length, even if it slows down the pacing, especially if you're, I don't know, really into the movie and you really want to see what it would have been like to see the full thing brought to well, the screen. One of my, I, and, yeah, and I one argue, my... that, that's, I've felt that way with Apocalypse Now, um, which is, a, I'm a huge, huge fan of that movie. And mm-hmm. when um, Francis Ford Coppola did the redo, um and added the stuff in they came out with a third version of it on dvd that allows you to watch it either way or at least i think it was even uh, that the complete a, dossier yes on the complete mm-hmm. dossier there's a deal where it'll even just show a little icon in the corner of the screen to tell you when something was added for the redo that wasn't in the original cut and since i'm such a big geek for that film i really like that option and that would have been fun to see in striker I'm, I'm with dayton yeah yeah, well, I mean, one of the first DVDs I bought that had the branching feature was uh, Terminator 2 when they had the, you know, you could get the theatrical cut and you could get the extended from the Laserdisc version. And then there was a third cut that he put in there that had the extra ending or the original ending that wasn't even on the director's cut that he had for Laserdisc. So, and that's how far back a nerd I go. I have Laserdiscs around here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have but, liked uh, seeing that with Close Encounters instead of the, instead of the three-disc yeah. version. Yeah. Which you had your option. You know, you could just hit the button and it would go either way. And, um, you know, so if you like the shorter version, you're good to go. I think the Abyss, the the, the most recent yeah. DVD edition of the Abyss has that feature. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. Um, well, right. you know what I was excited to see here, though, that they, they do in a lot of DVDs that they didn't do with Star Trek, is these are actual genuinely deleted scenes. They're not extended takes of scenes we've already seen, you know. Right. Those are the things that I think slow it down even more. When you have to sit through what you've already seen... 
and then see them go on for five more minutes about it. Right. There are things like Spock's birth, you know, that we never got to see, but you see it in the trailer, bits and, bits and pieces of it. That is, you get more Green Girls, which I'm sure you guys are excited about. Absolutely. <laughs> but you don't get to see Klingons without the helmet, by the way. You do not. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah. yeah. No. Oh, I, I can I can see why that. That's an easy. That's just like the you know the old Romulans with the gold helmets. You know they stick them on the guys and they don't have to put ears on them. So mm-hmm. uh, they save money on makeup. Yeah, to talk about extended editions. Of course, Lord of the Rings was famous for their extended versions, and of course, those scenes it, they did drag the movie down and slowed the pacing of it. And those movies were long to begin with. Oh yeah. Oh, and I'll, I'll tell you one extended version that I that if I ever have the opportunity to have pieces of my brain selectively removed, um, the extended version of Stripes made me weep. Um, <laughs> there's a section that they put back in the movie that they edited out that has got to be one of the worst pieces of uh, Bill Murray's work that I've ever witnessed, and mm. it was awful. Mm. Miles, what are you looking forward to uh, from the uh, from the DVD release? What are you uh, hoping to see? What are you uh anticipating besides seeing the movie again i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to well i'm gonna echo what uh, our guests have said uh i, I want to see the deleted scenes and i just want to add that the movie itself in the theater was two hours long so probably if they would if this would have been there it may have pushed it longer and i guess they want to keep that two hours um but the deleted scenes i definitely want to see uh i want to you know like to hear the, the uh, commentary um and any um that's some of the behind the scenes stuff I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, isn't there. Think, uh, yeah. An... Go ahead. Oh, I was. Uh, Mary, you may know more about this, but I was. Sure. Uh, um, isn't there on the Blu ray some sort of a uh, Starship simulator or some sort of a little. I don't know if it's a game or if it's a uh, opportunity to kind of check out the uh, the CGI model. Uh, do you, are you know what's going on with there, that? There is actually. Um a game on the standard desk too, but it's only for people who have Xbox. So I wasn't able to check that out. So I think that's the same game that's on the Blu-ray as well. Um, I forget what it's called, but... To, yeah, they're saying here, I have it in front of me, the... Uh, take the Command, it's called. I have Star Trek, uh, the DAC free trial game. Oh, man, I did buy the DAC. I bought it, didn't you play it, right? Yeah, hey, Kevin. I'm thinking. You know, you're you're thinking of like a virtual tour of the Enterprise. Isn't that on the TOS Blu-ray season set? One of them. I thought I remember maybe that's, something about maybe that. Maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Hang on just a second. Let me uh, um, let me check. But yeah, Dayton to... and I have played the, uh, the that DAC. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm going to have to buy the Blu-ray for that too because you know it's been a year since I bought a TOS season set. In some <laughs> format. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't break that cycle. Well, Come on. I know on the Blu-ray there's a lot about the bridge and the construction of it and all the little details, buttons and, and things like that, and uh, the captain's chair and how they constructed all that and the style of it. So, uh, But I'm not sure about a virtual tour. It, it might be just on the TOS set. Yeah, I don't see I don't see anything here on it uh, from what the descri- the product description I'm looking at. They do say they kind of explain like warp and the paint job and the bridge construction. Yeah. And the captain's chair and button acting and stuff like that. But um, it's, it's, go ahead. I think it's called. I found. I've just. I'm just um, scraping through some stuff. It says on the Star Trek Blu-ray says, a vessel simulator. Using your remote, you'll be able to explore both the Enterprise and the Narada. Um, and uh, it says the vessel simulator feature is available exclusively on the Blu-ray set. So um, 
yeah, I don't. I that's that's all I know about it. So. Oh yeah, I heard that um, there is something too about that has oh, yeah. little fact blurbs that pop up too. They're like text blurbs, and it gives you more additional details about the vessels. Just so like pop up video. Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. So. so that's neat. Hmm. So that yeah, that'll be cool. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I don't even have a Blu-ray cool player. The... No, me neither. Yeah, me neither. But I go to a friend's house to watch the Blu-ray stuff for our show. Well, uh, <laughs> what I was driving toward is I don't have a Blu-ray player, but I might go ahead and buy the Blu-ray for this one and just bank it. <laughs> yeah, right. My next, my next player will be go. the Blu-ray. So there right. might be some Black that's... Friday deals. You never know. Well, and that's the thing. And I guess the other option is that uh, I mean, if you if you really wanted to throw some money at something, I guess now's another excuse to buy a PlayStation Three. Right, right, right. And the prices are dropping in those. So perfect opportunity for that. Um, but, um, you're Santa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. I wish. Yeah. Um, but I was saying um, one of the things that's pretty cool, though, on this edition that I have is uh, some of the behind-the-scenes features talk about sort of the low-tech approach that J.J. has, where, you know, a lot of talk has been said about the lens flare, that that's basically just crew members shining flashlights into the lens. And that uh, JJ will go up and shake the camera where the where the film is held, and that'll get the effect. A lot of a lot of shots were pretty static, and he would just physically manhandle the camera and uh, achieve that effect. Especially during the parachute jump scene, they actually weren't even moving; they were standing on top of these mirrors outside, and he was shooting them from above, shaking the camera and blowing wind at them. So, wow. <laughs> so it's kind of wow. tech, even though there's a lot of CG from you know industrial light magic. So. I, I, right. I, I can I can respect that. I like that old school approach. That's yeah, all right. Yeah, It's like old school Star Wars. Yeah. Well, you know, there was a lot of discussion about the lens flare when that first when that when the movie first came out. How, how'd you guys feel about that? Let's talk I'm about. I'm still that. blinded by that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's not so bad on the small screen, Mary. What do you think? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't mind it at all. In fact, now that I've thought about it after a while, I'm like, it's actually pretty cool because it adds to that sort of urgency and that things are always moving. And especially when you're on the Enterprise, it's it's kind of, they, they, JJ said it was a symbol for hope, you know, so it's always light and bright and it's the juxtaposition to the Narada that's always dark and damp. That's kind of cool. I think it just added to the, you know, there's a there's a visceral feeling to the environment that the actors are working in i mean it's 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 more it's just it just seems more real to me that they're i mean obviously that's not how light reacts to around us in real life but it adds a little layer of intensity to to another what would ordinarily just be a static scene of them standing around talking on the bridge you know spouting techno babble you know Mm -hmm. they move the camera around weave it around and and they but they you know they avoid that mtv add cutting that that we hate so much um, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I, I, I like it. You know, it's it, it's a very distinctive look, and it, mm-hmm. you know it'll be interesting to see if he follows through or he, if he tries something even more radical for the next mm-hmm. go around. Right. Maybe he can. And not, I think. Go ahead. go ahead. No, I would just for the lens flare. There was also something about it that felt like if that was something they could have done back in the '60s, they probably would have. Um, I mean, there's. I remember scenes like in there. Uh, they they had flashlights then. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think well, they did. But, no, but he like, makes a good. They, they would use it. I think there was, I remember in Planet of the Apes when they would like be walking through the desert or something. Didn't like the camera would pan up to the sun and make this kind of weird flare and and you know and that's something that I thought of. That well, I mean, if you think, 
cool touch. One of the things they did mm-hmm. during the original series, especially early on in the first season, was that you know because it was you know color TV was was new in the early in the in the mid '60s. You know the sure. the, uh, the the production team. You know they threw a lot of wild colors on the walls and uh, uh, you know up into up behind the actors to highlight them. They really went. Over, almost overboard with the color mm-hmm. schemes, and they did that deliberately because they were a trying to show you know, this is the they were diff- making a statement that this is the future. We don't know what it looks like because we haven't been there yet. And um, but they were also taking advantage of the fact that we're the all color network, so let's show off. And I mean, to me, that's JJ's approach is a 21st century trying to make my own signature mark for yeah, what my Star Trek looks like. Right. Yeah, I, remember I mean, when, you know. Uh, when we sat down, when David and I went and saw the uh, the movie in the theaters for the first time, one of the things that we looked for that I thought was really cool, I can't remember if you read it first or if I did, but they talked about this little uh, – the first time Pike sits in the captain's chair, uh, you can see this band of light that kind of crosses his eyes like they used to do with Shatner all the time when he would sit in the captain's yeah. chair. And it was really cool. I remember, I remember just when I first saw that and he sat down and that and that light was there like we had read in some article. Um, that was when I, I decided that I didn't care what they did with light because even that just little touch set off my whole inner geek. I was really happy. Yeah. Oh, I think I think it's a beautifully shot film. I mean it's it's you know, it's definitely um, distinctive. It'll be, it's it'll, be fun I, on the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I'll imagine it would be. I, I can't wait to see how it works on the T V. So now, uh, do you, do you think you'll continue with the uh, lens flares and the upcoming, the the second <laughs> one? I mean, that's I mean, he'll probably was... tone it down. I think he, I think he's he's aware of the fact that he may have gone overboard a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Oh man! See the next one, they're going to have to do Blair Witch style. <laughs> well, he did, he did that. It was called Cloverfield. Right, right. There you go. Oh man, just shaky camera the entire time. That would that would drive me nuts. <laughs> Spockovision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, or something like that, right? So, Mary, is anything else that we should be looking forward to, on, uh, Mary, on these discs? Well, you know, right when you put in the discs, I, I love the menus because it's got that ambient uh, ship sound effects. You know, all the little beeps and things from the original series, and then it's like a beautiful like blueprint schematic. Um, on the menu and, and menus are a small detail but I love them I love when somebody goes that extra mile to make it you know something that moves and is interesting and interactive so it's very cool the drop down menus are neat um, the thing that I feel like was lacking on the DVD was something personal because it felt very studio produced I like it when even if it's a big release they have maybe like a video diary with Simon Pegg or something to take you in personally and yes there were behind the scenes shots and yes there were interviews but nothing felt really personal about it so that's something they could have done and i would have liked the cast commentary too because the commentary we do get is very informative but this cast has such a great chemistry i would love to just hear them riffing on each other and, and what they were going through in the scenes oh absolutely mary who mary who provides the commentary that we do get uh the commentary has jj and then it has brian burke uh, Alex Kurtzman, Damon Lindenloff, and Roberta Orsi. So all okay, so the writers are involved. Okay. Yes, they are. Which I okay, mean, good. interesting, That's... too, because they talk about the changes in the script, mm-hmm. like what was the original first draft, and then how, how it ended up on screen and yeah. things like that. I, so. To be honest, I usually, I usually bypass commentaries on the DVDs unless the writer is uh, involved because I, I just love listening to them discuss – the genesis of the story and the refinements that go into it and what you know what has to come out what has to go back in that kind of thing some Absolutely. of my favorite commentaries are by by the by screenwriters 
uh, like Kevin Smith's is one is some of my favorite. He's probably some of my favorite. Yeah, but actually yeah, one of my yeah. you know, so good, good. It's good to hear that. I'll be I'll I'll yeah, definitely pay attention to that. One of the one of the moments I liked on the commentary was the writers talking about how one of the only scenes that really never changed was the scene where Bones first meets Kirk, and he's <laughs> talking about all his you know space phobias. So that, that that was like pretty much in the first draft, and it never changed. It was pretty much word for word. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that that part I am looking forward to is just to, to get a little bit of uh, of behind the scenes. Not not so much. Here's how we did this, but here's how. But but the thought process. Um, there, there's been a few times that that I've liked uh, actor commentaries, but sometimes they kind of come across like uh, Chris Farley's old interviews on SNL. Um, you know, remember <laughs> that one time we did that one scene? That was cool. You know, and yeah. um, you know, one, one of the best ones that I just re-listened to um, uh, a while back was I I, re- I rebought the the new uh, version of American Werewolf in London, and oh, they yeah, uh, had. Yeah, and they have uh, uh, David Naughton and Griffin Dunn uh, doing uh, uh, commentary, which actually to me is is great. So uh, I mean, that's that's one that that I think is worth checking out. Now, do we get a lot of uh, Leonard Nimoy speaking on the on the DVDs? Actually, you do. Um, you get a lot of you know some of his first meetings with Zach and um, why he wanted to do the project and how they approached him initially before they even had a script and how he felt positive about it. He didn't commit, but he felt positive about it. And since they felt like, okay, he's more than likely to do this, then they went and wrote the script with Spock Prime being a major player in it. So had he said no, it would have changed everything. So, yeah, but you do get him, you know, talking about it. Right. I think they were going to go with Sulu Prime, weren't they? (laughs) Do a Sulu Prime if (laughs) if, uh, if anyone wasn't in there? Yeah. I'm sure he would have done it in a heartbeat. <laughs> you know, you know George. <laughs> but um, actually, was there a point? In- there was no George in the DVD, but there was Nichelle Nichols and Walter, and um, it was funny in the commentary they were talking about that that scene I was telling you about with the parachutes and how it's uh-huh. two guys on mirrors kind of hugging, and it looks like they're spinning and falling out into space. And Walter shows up. It's his first day on set to just check it out. And he sees them just hugging and spinning. And he probably Ooh, thought it was going to be like the worst movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> or a whole different movie altogether. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like editing three different jokes. I'll, I'll tell Dayton later. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Twitter, come on. Sure. Give us one of them. Nah. It's firing right now. I can't. The jokes can't come fast enough. (laughs) I know. I know. Oh man. Oh, so those are some of the. uh, Go ahead. Getting back to Nimoy, um, Mary. Does he express? Did he? Does he? I mean, if he's interviewed, did he? Was he reluctant or even against the notion from the at the beginning, and then was sold on the idea, or was he always open to the notion? I mean, because I I mean, he was. Originally, he wasn't open to doing another movie, but after he heard their pitch to him and where they wanted to go with it and making it very character-driven and and whatnot, he was kind of sold on it then, but he didn't officially commit until after seeing the script. I was Uh, curious because, you know, he had, you know, when when Generations was in development and they approached him about coming back for that one and he turned him down. Yeah. um, yeah. I was, you know, basically I pretty much... That was the line of demarcation for his retirement from acting. Was what was it? Was, 18 uh, years. It's it was like Star Trek. Well, Star Trek Six was ninety one, and Generations was 
what ninety it would have been ninety two or ninety three when they approached him. Yeah. So he was he'd been retired from that point, and uh, I you know when I heard that he had signed on to me you know way back when when they first announced the movie and and then they introduced him and Zach Quinto at Comic Con back in mm-hmm. what oh six, oh seven. And, you know, I said, well, if if it was if if they were able to convince him to come out of retirement after this many years and play that role again, there must be something going on with this story. That's what I told everyone. I'm like, don't worry about everybody, all the naysayers. I'm like, if he's willing to do it, there's got to be something behind this movie. Exactly. That's kind of how I felt about at the time. And I and, you know, largely I still agree with that. You know, yeah. 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 And and one of the, the great moments on the DVD is actually. The, the picture wrap for Nimoy, like the last shot of him playing Spock, yeah. you know, and how everybody came, kind of gave him a standing ovation. You could see the emotion in his eyes knowing that this yeah. might be the last time he ever puts on those ears and plays that character. I actually saw a part of that clip because it was mm-hmm. on the little gizmo that they were giving away at Comic-Con. Oh, but, okay. So what was what was the thing they gave him? They had something wrapped up to give to him on his last day. What do we you know what that is? I was just curious. I didn't. They didn't talk about it. I, it looked like a chair or something. I don't know. I, I, it wasn't. It was either. A, it looked like a frame. Something wrapped yeah, up. Yeah, some in kind of frame. Line. It was still wrapped up, and they never revealed what it was. Yeah. But, okay. Uh, yeah, they do have a yeah. cool speech to the to the cast and crew. But even in that little few minutes, because it was just a snippet of that larger feature mm-hmm. that I saw, and he was definitely choked up about this being you know you know i've done it after again after so many years and this may very well be the last time i do it so yeah, yeah. i'm yeah. looking forward to seeing stuff like that I'm, I'm usually not too big on behind the scenes featurettes but i'll watch these yeah, yeah these what do you guys are... think of like casting featurettes do you think that because sometimes they're very self-indulgent in my opinion where it's like oh he's fabulous we 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 wanted to have him because we saw him in this movie and he was so great but in this case, where you're actually having to pick actors that either resemble previous actors or, you know, can carry the persona, it was actually a little more interesting to me to see how they match. Yeah, yeah this up. time around, I'll probably pay attention because, I mean, I, we're so invested in the original actors. Um, mm-hmm. What surprised um, me the most was that um, Simon Pegg was their first and only choice for Scotty. And literally, J.J. sent him an email, <laughs> and he originally turned him down and said, I can't do this. It's too much, you know? And then his wife gotta, and him yeah. talked about it, and then he, he agreed. I wasn't yeah. sold on the notion until I saw him on screen. And then I, I wasn't was, either. I, when I, I was just yeah. like, I love Simon Pegg. I, I love him Me in too. Shaun of the Dead. And I love him in Spaced, but I just didn't see him as Scotty. But he, no, you know, no. He, did, he didn't channel Doing. He didn't parody Doing. He did his own thing with it. And that was that was it was, it was fun. a great Scottish it, accent too, very yeah. authentic. Mm-hmm. Right, and, yeah, had, so, and there was then there was enough a hint of you know the the lines that Scotty said and all that you they you could believe him as 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 a character. Oh, when 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 he yelled, "I'm giving her all she's got, Captain." Yes. I'm done. That was all I needed to hear. I, you know, he didn't say another thing. Right. The, the, exactly. The thing that I, was I mean, I think that's the good thing is they didn't you know do parodies or you know over the top characters of the originals. They they kind of put their own mark on it, especially Chris Pine. Well, the one to me that really was fun to watch was Carl Urban because oh yeah, I don't. I mean, he he didn't parody. It was almost like channeling D. Kelly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was spooky. Absolutely. Close your eyes. <laughs> if you close your eyes, you can hear D. Kelly, and you and he's not doing it as a as a parody. He's 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 being respectful of the character, and he's he right flat out nails it. Yeah, yes, I mean, right down mean, he, he took it right down to the pinky ring to, to, to it was it had nothing at all to do with um with you know trying to be um DeForest Kelly. What it was was uh was him being McCoy and the only way we've really seen McCoy is the way D. Kelly played it. I 
that was the one that I thought at first was going to degenerate into parody, but uh, it took me about 40 seconds to change my mind. Um, you know, <laughs> like the, the, the second, I mean, I remember watching that, the, the little clip of them going on to the shuttle. It was mm-hmm. one of the first clips that was released to the internet. And yeah. I think, uh, I think I called Dayton immediately as soon as I'd seen it. I was, uh, I was totally sold. I mean, here's a guy from New Zealand playing, you know, an older Kentucky doctor. (laughs) Guy (laughs) from Atlanta. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. The the scene that sold me for him was when they're at the, uh, they're in the uh, auditorium and Kirk is being called on the carpet for cheating. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they all get called away because the emergency has been sounded. And Kirk says, who was that pointy ear bastard? And McCoy's (laughs) like, I don't know, but I like him. You know, I, yeah. I, I was in at that point. That was my favorite, my favorite, probably my favorite line in the whole movie from him. That because of the so way great. he delivered. And there was just some great chemistry between those guys. They just, Absolutely. For being a new cast that hadn't worked together, you, you, you believed that they had worked together before. And one thing, that if, if Mary, they don't have anything on there about, uh, you know, the cast talking about each other. One thing that I have seen from the uh, set was uh, somebody leaked the gag reel onto the Internet, and I did watch that. And there yeah. are some hints of these guys having a lot of fun on the set. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They would definitely goof off, um, especially on those bridge days where they were all on set together, you know, cracking each other up. So, And the gag reel is, is pretty good. It's short, but it's good. I love gag reels. It gives you it just gives you a, it gives you a whole new side to the movie. In a sense. I like gag reels for movies that are serious, like a horror film <laughs> yeah. or, or something, because <laughs> you never get to see them. Like, do you guys remember um, the Enterprise? I don't know if you guys will even like Enterprise, but <laughs> the Enterprise DVD sets. Like to oh, see yeah. Jolene Blaylock smile and crack up after having yes. to be so serious for four seasons. That's just like watching the old blooper reels from from the original series. You exactly. Know, where, 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 where Nimoy breaks character because somebody says something funny or and that happens or a lot with Zach on this. <laughs> yeah, or, or they're in the middle of a serious scene and then and then and one of my favorite blooper reels from the old show is when Kirk is reciting some kind of dialogue and Jimmy Doohan comes in behind him and reminds him of the line he missed or something mm-hmm. and then they just crack up and then it's yeah i saw the gag reel it's i'll, I'll watch that one a couple of times i just yeah. i love watching yeah. serious actors just i love it when they walk right into it and every and they take everybody with you they're like they're they're into it 100 percent, and then they they veer off page deliberately to screw with people <laughs> that's my favorite time when they do that. i like the style of it too how they did it all 60s the opening credits for it <laughs> and they did it like you it. know the original series kind of goofy yeah, so. yeah that was fun it does feel like that there were a lot of things that were put in for the fans. I mean, which I think that that also reflects the movie in general. There's stuff that I, and when I watched it with my daughter, who'd probably seen five hours of uh, the original series in her life, mm-hmm. she was laughing at things that the general audience was. But she also, because she's been around me enough, could pick up on things that she just knew enough pop culturally that were funny to her. Like the line that you cited Dayton about, uh, I don't know, but I like him. She laughed bec- and, uh, and kind of nudged me. She goes, he doesn't like Spock. And so I thought, okay, well that works. And, and so there's just mm-hmm. little nuggets that, that we respond to as fans that will just go over the heads of somebody that are less educated or, or less, uh, you know, what uh, intensive about it. But right on down to that little opening credits thing on the gag reel, I feel like they were doing stuff for us. Totally. Right. Now, some of the things that were kind of um, that we thought were homages on the DVD, they actually say aren't. Like uh, Kirk eating the apple when he's taking the Kobayashi Maru. That he, JJ says that was not um, a hint to Wrath of Khan at all. Um, it was just somebody on set said they hate it when actors eat. 
in, in movies and how obnoxious it seems. So he's like, we got to give him an apple. So <laughs> I don't know. It's just a simple thing, and we're reading way too much into it. Well, of course <laughs> we do. I, I, but I mean, you know, it works, though, because... But it works, so whatever you take that, from it, perfect. it's fine. Yeah. I, he, he should have just lied and said, yeah, I threw you guys a bone. I mean, no, we wouldn't know any different. We wouldn't uh, know, but, exactly. So... Now there were rumors earlier on of a of an R two D two droid being somewhere on the set. Was that ever confirmed? Or did any of you guys ever hear that? I thought it came through like Sci Fi Wire or Sci Fi Scoop it, or something. It, it did. In fact, Paramount yeah. based a contest on it. I remember seeing it mm -hmm. in Facebook. They were the first people that could uh, spot where the R two unit was tucked into the movie that they would win some sort of a prize. But I can't precisely remember where it was. I you know I, I don't remember ever hearing where it was, and I know I never saw it because I looked. Well. I'll tell you, in the commentary, they kind of point it out, but they don't say that it's the R2-D2. They're just like, oh, if you pause it right now, there's a Easter egg right here floating through space. So, But you still have to find it yourself in the shot. They don't actually point it out where. <laughs> okay. And then there's... Oh, I think I do remember now where it is. Uh, if, mm -hmm. uh, but go ahead. I mean, are you gonna are you gonna out it or let people? Find no, it I'm not themselves? gonna out it because I want <laughs> to find it themselves. But okay, tweet but, me later and tell me if I'm right. I will. <laughs> right. And then there's another shot. Obviously, we know about the tribbles in Scotty's uh, work area. Oh yeah. But there's in that scene too with, between him and the little the little midget alien guy. Um, I forget the character's name, but anyway. Um, you can kind of see an R2-D2 in the background if you pause it at the right moment, but it's really blurry. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, that, but they don't point that one out. Yeah, and they, they, there's well, a, go ahead. I was going to say, the triple deal, is that true that, you know, at one shot there's one, and then when he cycles back around to him later in the scene, there's two or more in the same cage or something? <laughs> is that true? I saw more than one, yeah. I don't know how these people catch this stuff. Cause I know. <laughs> like, watching the scare, I would have never, I didn't see it the I first would, time, but yeah. then I was looking for it the next time. Yeah. Right. It goes by so quickly. Well, that's like the number that was on his backpack that was the original number for, um, uh, what was that number for? I forget. The one well, that was, was like the uh, it was the Enterprise D, right? You know, it was right. NCC 171D, so right. I mean, wow. Yeah, I, I saw it on the internet and looked for it and missed it, so you know, whatever. So, but how did you feel that they did with um, being that you are <clears throat> our resident authorities on track? How do you feel they did bringing the old track? They had they had to deal with okay, we are now 40 years later, the technology has got come so far. How did they do with kind of respecting old track? in the ship design and in the way they kind of conveyed the whole thing or did they or did they just say screw that <laughs> who wants it yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, you uh, too. <laughs> well no I, I all right here's my here's my personal thing i i think they did exactly what they needed to do which right. is there's enough of an echo of what we know or what we remember and what we love about the original show there but it's been modernized and amped up for today i mean they, they couldn't there's no way they could have spent 150 million dollars and put up the bridge set from the original show it would look um, ridiculous uh, <laughs> it would and, and as much as i love that that mm -hmm. set and i love those i love that show and i love those sets it would have not worked on a 150 million dollar motion picture no. for the big screen and uh, yes, but they there was enough respect paid in my opinion uh, while modernizing it to, to to give us f old fans um, a bone or two, um, I love the way they updated the uniforms. I love the way they updated the, 
What? Yeah, I'm sorry. Down give, us, give us old fans a bone or two. Before you added the O2, I thought, holy <laughs> crap, we've just got the explicit label. <laughs> All right. This is why his name. This is why his name comes after the and on our cover. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, speaking of, speaking from this fan's point of view, I, I think they did a great, they did a fine job of straddling the line of, of paying homage to what's come before and yet giving it its own distinctive look. So, oh, I mean, I, the ship, and I was a hard sell on the ship design. When I first saw the, the, the new ship, um, the, the one picture that they released to the internet was a very unflattering angle to me. And I didn't think it would much of it at all. And then I saw it at different angles and I saw it in motion and bobbing and weaving and some of the other scenes and I, and, and it sold me. Uh, but my understanding was that they had a, they had an edict from Paramount that they could not screw too much with the, the actual design of the ship. You know, it still had to be very recognizable, that silhouette. Um, otherwise, we may have gotten something even more drastic. So I read something today for the first time that uh, um, where somebody was talking about the ship design, and the guy's comment was uh, that he's, I always said that it was a design that seemed like an eight-year-old was drawing the Enterprise from memory, which <laughs> whoa. <laughs> well, I mean, but, you know, uh, and I'm, I was a hard sell on that because uh, we had seen, you know, a couple years ago they had the the the, uh, the remastered edition of the Menagerie two-part episode. Oh yeah, and they it. screened that in theaters. Yeah, and I, so I we thought, went to the yeah. theater and watched that, and I thought it looked fantastic. I said, nobody can convince me that that design doesn't look great on a big screen. I yeah. get why they modernized a little bit and gave it a little more muscle. They wanted it to look like a hot rod. Right, right. So, you know, I mean, I get it. it. But, and, and, but the whole movie feels like a hot rod when you think about it. And, uh, and so <laughs> I guess it didn't bug me. Um, that was, there's uh, things that I, I like the new phaser designs. I like the new communicators. I mean, there were just things about it that, uh, that when I looked at what they were doing, just felt good to me. But they also added credibility. I remember the first time that I, that I uh, screened uh, Arena for my daughter because uh, she was, I forget what it was, we were talking about just Star Trek and stories and whatever, and, and it was all over, and I thought, you know, I said, so what did you think? And I was trying to get her to talk about the whole, uh, you know, I'm going to choose not to kill today. And the first thing she says is, you know, you can see the zipper in that lizard's back. <laughs> and I thought, okay. So, see, and that, but that's what we were fighting. We, I mean, you know, we were fighting that, that idea with this audience going in larger than we probably realize as fans. And they gave a credibility to what the 23rd century could look like that people bought it and didn't let their hangups stand in the way of enjoying the story. So, oh, yeah. uh, so I'm totally in with the changes they made. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is, that I like, you, you mentioned this, a hot rod, you know, that for an inter for a movie that kind of reintroduces Star Trek to a new generation, uh, where you're introducing all these characters and they're coming together. There was a lot of action for a movie that does that. Mm -hmm. And that's at well, least I mean, it's, it's the same it's the same thing that Lucas knew 30 years ago with Star Wars. I mean, he gave Han Solo a hot rod, um, and everything was a little dirty and a little speedy. And it's, I mean, Star Trek just figured out, I think, or at least knew that if they're going to capture uh, what science fiction adventure is for a new generation, that they had to take a page from that book and uh, and make it fun. Fun. I mean, have fun first and think later. And right. I feel like that that's what he, uh, what he, they definitely were able to do. And what a better man for the job. I know. J. J. He Abrams. would have lost half your audience if 
you just made it a fun adventure ride. You have to have that emotional gravity. You have to have that opening, you know, with Kirk's mom, you know, having him and dad dying. And, you know, you have to have these things catch the women who want the more emotional. I mean, there's a lot of women who like action, don't get me wrong. But we also want to see these characters based in reality and know their history. And so it wasn't just a wild ride like a Transformers movie. No, I think they did a good job straddling that line. I mean, I mean mm-hmm. it's it's definitely high octane. Um, you know, and that's and I think you know I, I would per, I would have perhaps liked my Star Trek movies of you know yesteryear to have had a little more action to them. Mm-hmm. Um, they were you know they were largely talk fests. You mm-hmm. know, uh, especially some of the latter next gen and, and latter original series movies. As much as I enjoy them, they were just largely scenes with the actors standing around. So I'm okay with a little more a little more high tempo, high octane in your face. Let's have a roller coaster. That's what a movie should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um if, if I want if I want a literate pursuit, I'll stay home and read a book. Right. Um and Star Trek can be both. And it can be both at the same time. And um I think he did a good job doing what he needed to do, which was reintroduce these characters and give everybody a fun ride and you know, bring us back to you know, all right, all seven characters are now in their familiar places and for the next movie maybe you'll dive deeper into the story and the types of, of uh, messages that Star Trek is known for giving in its storylines. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think that he definitely started there, – there are the, the couple scenes, and I'm, there may be more than two. There's only two that I can think of off the top of my head where we have all seven people – on the bridge at the same time thinking through a problem and both times that that happened I was totally enthralled with the way that they were getting them all to uh, to work together because in my mind that's a lot of what really uh, works about Star Trek I mean to me uh, I, and I can't take credit for this but somebody said it's about optimism it's about adventure and it's about being the best at what you can be and surrounding yourself with great people and doing it together. And, uh, and there's the, the two scenes where all seven of them are, uh, are, are puzzling through something. I, I hope that there's a little bit more of that the next time around, because those scenes just to me were, I mean, really fun to experience with through all new eyes. Hey, Mary, here's a question for you. Is, uh, is there anything on the DVD features with Bruce Greenwood? Does he get, uh, yeah, does he get some play? Yeah, there's a lot with him and how J.J. is just such a huge fan of his work. And uh, he's actually quite the jokester on set, too. So he's yeah. involved in some of the uh, the gag reel, too. He's one of those uh, underrated actors that I've really enjoyed watching for a long time now. Oh, definitely. And I'm, I, mean, I'm, I mean, when I first heard that he was cast as Pike, I was sort of on the fence about it. But, you know, he, he sold me very quickly. Um, Absolutely. Portrayal of Pike. And I really hope they find a way to work him into the next one because I like the idea of this new timeline and this new reality or however, however you want to call it, depending on how deep a fan you are. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy the idea of a healthy Pike being there as part yeah. of the equation. Yeah, yeah me too. Well, now, we, we see him first wearing the bar scene. Is that when he first appears? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And what a, it was a great kind of wise sage coming into the bar scene to give this little uh, Luke Skywalker direction, right? <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Yeah, or to push out the door, I guess. But uh, you know, and in, in the original series, and it uh, could be—I mean, Dayton, you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and I likely am. But what what other characters were there in the original series that served as a real mentor for Kirk? I mean, the closest I can think of was uh, is that as far as like 
when he approached them as um, you know somebody that we thought Kirk respected as an elder was was John Gill. Um, I mean, I can't think of anybody else that uh, that Kirk talked about um, you know being real influential and and having a chance to meet them. I mean, not Decker really. Um, I mean, who else is there? I mean, that 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 would serve a role in the original series like Pike can now serve in these movies. I don't, well, I mean, you know, every time they brought up a, a somebody in the original series as somebody Kirk read about at the Academy or admired from when he was in the Academy, it turned out to be the bad guy of the episode. So, right. you know, Garth, uh, Garth of Izar and uh, uh, Ron Tracy and um, – and I'm really getting my nerd on here. Daystrom, uh, right. in a sense. Nerd alert. Daystrom, right. I mean, so – I mean, it's, it seems so – I mean, he was – that was always the mechanism for getting Kirk emotionally invested in the in the storyline, it seemed, was – was uh you know oh yeah I remember reading about him at the academy or he was required reading at the academy or whatever and then he turns out to be this whack job for the episode. Um, <laughs> I think this may be the very first. This may be the first time we've been introduced to an to an honest to goodness legitimate mentor uh, or our or, or you know father figure to Kirk. Um, well, exactly, and, and in this me, timeline, he really needs it more than in the yeah because he's definitely a different. Yeah, he's definitely a different person than he would have been in the original timeline from from what we know of his past. I mean, we really don't know a whole lot about Kirk's early years except for the little nuggets, if, not counting books and comic books and things sure. like that. Um, and you know, and I just I just you know made a lot of enemies for the people who follow the fiction. But you know, we have <laughs> we have to count the fact that very you know the large percent of the audience does not read that stuff. So so far as they know, there's not a lot. Yeah, yeah, damn them. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, say, buy their books. Come on, shopping season is coming, guys. They're great stocking stuffers. Right, um, right. No, I, I think it's great, and I, and I hope they continue that because one of the one of the interesting things about the storyline is, and it's one of the things that's got fans somewhat. And I use that word, you know, in uh, sarcastic. They're, they're somewhat troubled by this, is how fast Kirk is promoted to captain. Oh yeah, and, I remember hearing you know, the argument. That was, one of, that was one of my issues. If I if I I don't even call it an issue. It's like okay, I, I can't really buy that, but I'll go with it for the fun of it. And to me, there's a story there because this guy's been promoted. He's very largely inexperienced beyond that. So is he due for to make a really big freaking mistake that's going to cost something? You know, and who's going to help pull him out of that? So there's a story there. If you're writing, if I'm writing a story to follow up on that, that's where I go. Um, have you guys listened the guy, to the audiobook of the new movie? I have. Yeah. I don't um, know if Kevin has, but I... There's not certain yet. things, uh, chunks of dialogue and whatnot, that obviously didn't make it into the film that are in there, and I just wonder, do do they go into that a little more on, on the audiobook? I haven't heard it. Oh, well, uh, I, I read the novelization. And, yeah, that's uh, what but, I mean. Mm-hmm. But they didn't, not not really. Um, the, uh, I mean, it really was, was uh, well, it's, I, I mean, I know a lot of the backstory about the novelization and things but um but i don't know that they really touched on kirk responding to pike as uh as you know in a mentor role or or really referring i mean they talk a little bit about his uh stepfather uh who served uh, no uh role for for guidance or anything for kirk that when you know he was the bad guy yeah, he's so, a, he's in the deleted scenes, and uh, you kind of see why he steals the car. Is, does Grunberg play him? <laughs> but it's actually, I think, his uncle who's the bad guy, the Uncle Frank, in in what we see in the deleted scene. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I think that I guess that is the. Uh, um, I, yeah, I can't. I thought it was the stepfather in the novelization, but uh, but it may be the uncle in the way it was deleted. It, 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 well, I, I think it's the uncle. Yeah, and it's, it's the. Uh, if I recall correctly. 
Yeah, and apparently there was no. supposed to be another scene with Jennifer Morrison where she was yelling at Kirk over the phone, but they didn't want where she was yelling at Kirk over the phone, but they didn't want to have that <laughs> in, and they didn't even put it in there because in the deleted scenes because they didn't want you to just look mom. You know, you see her giving birth, and it's such an emotional, touching scene, and then if you had her just being a total D, you know, then it would change your perspective oh, yeah. on her. So they didn't include that, but they made the, the uncle the bad guy. Right, Matt. Matt. That did, that wasn't that. Yeah, you know, that wasn't in the novelization. What I remember from the novelization was that the reason he took the car was because it, the car was actually his father's, and the stepdad was going to sell it. Yes. And so right. Jim just basically said, "F that," and I'm going to go for. You know, yeah, uh, they were having his brother wash the car, so I'm assuming yeah. it's to sell it. Um, mm -hmm. And then he says, "Like, well, it's not even his car, you know, and he's not my father, so it's the uncle that's just a total jerk." And yeah. Has no respect for the father. Yeah, Matt Parkman, right? He's the uncle. Yeah, but they don't show him. Right. As the, he's just the voice in the in the right. car, but the the guy in in the actual scene is not uh, not Greg Gunberg. Okay, Miles, you had something you wanted to say. Yeah. Um, did they, Mary? Maybe you can answer mm -hmm. this. Um, in the in the DVD, this is going back about the time travel. Did they establish that I think. Um, what they tried to say was, we're not erasing the original series timeline. Uh, they're following contemporary theories of uh, time travel, where you travel to the past, you you create a a parallel universe or, or timeline, and um, so that way it satisfies the old fans. We're not erasing the original timeline; just we're creating a new one. Um, that's what I got from like hearing yeah. some, and reading some interviews. You're correct. They talk about it in bits and pieces, and obviously in the commentary go into a little bit more detail about it. Uh, there's no featurette, though, specifically about the time travel and the timeline, but I think there is one on the Blu-ray. Um, but, yeah, you're correct in the notion that they're, they're not trying to do away with the, the old timeline, that the two can kind of coexist. Okay. All right. What did, uh, any comments on that? I remember hearing comments early on, and this is going back to the bridge a little bit, about the bridge looking kind of like the Apple Store. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Apple Store. Yeah, me too. I spend too much time in there. But... The, only, <laughs> the, the only complaint I would have had uh, as far as the bridge set is concerned, if I, had to, if I was actually someone who was assigned to work at one of those workstations along the back wall, all those rows of floodlights flashing me in the face as I sit there at my chair. <laughs> I don't understand what they thought that was good for. Um, right. That's not practical <laughs> lighting. I mean, if, you, if you've ever been on board, a, a, you know, if you've been in, a, in, a, in like the combat information center on a, on a Navy ship, the, the lighting is very low um, mm -hmm. to facilitate looking at all the computer screens and the radar screens and all the other, you know, readouts and displays that are in there. That is that if that's if I had a complaint, it's that the thing was just too brightly lit. Too clean, and, yeah. You know, I would have liked it, it a little clean, grittier, yeah. looking a little more um, like a submarine of sorts. I think the Kelvin did yeah. a good job with that, um, and, I, and I think an Enterprise too. You know, they're well. Their I guess you know the Enterprise very... is brand new, so it's yeah, going to be yeah. spotty and clean. But and yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I would have liked a little more subdued lighting and maybe some more color to 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 sell that. And but you know, what do I know? But overall, I like yeah. it stylistically. Mm -hmm. I liked the fact that they had all that that information, those screens on the back wall that really made it look like a lot of information was being conveyed very quickly right. and in like various that. formats for for the specialists that were manning those stations. But oh, I, mean, yeah. the, I, I I can just remember seeing like eight or ten little spot floodlights 
aligned so that if you're sitting at the console, they're in your face. And I don't, I don't, I was just like, how, God, if you're one of the extras in the background, and you got to sit all day, you're going to, you're going to take a chainsaw to somebody before the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> totally change a movie there. What, what do you think of the, um, the engine room with all the pipes and all that? You mean the beer room? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why do you think Scotty wanted a job on the ship? Uh, who there wouldn't? You know. Who wouldn't, right? Yeah, that was a little uh, too large, I think. Yeah. You know, I, there was, I mean, I, that was one place that I kind of blew hot and cold on it, but uh, I was, I mean, I got over it. To me, it struck me no differently than when I saw the uh, the kitchen in Star Trek VI. Um, I was like, <laughs> really? <laughs> we got, like, pots and pans hanging it from the ceiling, you know, when, when you know, 30 years ago we could press a button and get a chicken sandwich and coffee? You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know but then as I got as I got into it and got to thinking that uh, um, you know if, if you know I guess uh, Star Trek is steampunk or something but there was uh, it, it did kind of work for me it, it's after a while it just it just felt cool I like the I love the idea of uh, of Scotty being in the bowels of the ship and and that definitely uh, you know looked like bowels. Yeah, you know when you're when yeah. you're that far away from Earth, you know, in going warp speed, what is there to do but drink, right? <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Except if you can get from uh, Earth to Vulcan in three or four minutes, you know, you don't hardly have time for a couple of shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What were you going to say, Dayton? Uh, I was going to say if, I, if my if my only complaint about the engine room, I don't, I didn't really care too much about the pipes and the clutter. I wish they had found a way to photograph it or use CGI to to make it look small, because that was the only problem. Mm-hmm. It just looked impossibly big to be where right. it was, or where we believe it to be in the ship. Um, that was that was my only complaint. I mean, the idea that there's conduits and and piping and and uh, control panels and everything. I mean, that to me is makes sense. Uh, I just was like, yeah, it looks way too big to be where it's at. Just like the hangar deck, you know, that hangar deck yeah. looked like the Galactica launch deck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they were channeling Galactica when they when they had that thing. Um, or at least that's that's the way it looked to me. Yeah, and uh, I definitely those are my ran, I, Yeah, I ran aground on that exact same thing with the Kelvin. Um, was that, uh, I mean, how many damn shuttlecrafts do they have on that thing? <laughs> um, it looked like there were 40 of them. And, and, uh, and I, and that's what I wondered if maybe it was just a, you know, a little, uh, um, you know, Galactica influenced. Well, I mean, it, to, for, for the enterprise more, the, the, it didn't seem like they were conveying the size of the ship with, with consistency. It looks right. to be one size on one shot. And then another shot, it looks to be. Ten times larger, and then they, they they immediately follow that up with a scene that that contradicts that, and mm-hmm. I, I I that was the, it was kind of jarring because it, especially in the sequences where it's under construction and you get a sense of its size, and then you get a, a shot of the shuttlecraft coming out and it looks to be just so much more, you know, large than it than that that one scene had it. It was a little disconcerting. I wish they had found a way to to be a little more consistent with that. Well, and I noticed that even the filmmakers, when they would comment on that that aspect of uh, of the Enterprise online, seemed to be inconsistent. I remember just hearing some infighting or some uh, some little freakouts by the fans when somebody involved in the movie would say, "Well, the ship is this big and holds this many people," and uh, I got the impression that the Enterprise in uh, in the Abrams movie was you know almost as big as the enterprise d and uh which didn't i mean that didn't sit well with me at all and i just kind of ignored all the internet crap and just watched the movie 
So well, it's uh, kind of like Batman's cape. You know, Batman's cape is one length for one scene, and then you know the next scene it fills the screen and yeah. billows out behind it. <laughs> then it's, exactly. it tucks itself back in, you know, for, so he can get in the car. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's very you know. But then uh, I I remember that uh, um, in uh, the motion picture I that. Uh, I thought that that hangar de- or that some of the hangar deck or storage bay or something when uh, when they're walking in from their little tour of the outside of the ship seemed massive to me. And the first time I saw the three level engineering in motion picture, I thought that that seemed weird and big. But but now when I watch it, I just look for the fact that they used 12 year olds because they wanted to have economy of scale when they shot down. Yeah, and in fact, they I, used some twelve-year-olds, some little kids in this, um, in yeah. quite a few places. In some of the deleted scenes too, with like, there's little kid Klingons <laughs> to make <laughs> to make that uh, set look uh, bigger. And then awesome. uh, oh, yeah. when Kirk uh, is mean, uh, running <laughs> and he goes into the cave and he's being chased by the red creature, that's actually a little kid running into the cave because the cave hole was so small. <laughs> yeah. So watch it. You can tell that it's not Chris Pine if you really look. Right. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I would have never picked up on that. So do you guys have your uh, DVDs ordered? Oh, well, yeah. I don't need to. <laughs> no, you don't. But <laughs> Although I do need the Blu-ray. Right, right. But, uh, so no, I, I I still am geeky enough that I like the idea of going in on um, you know Tuesday's Best Buy Day and Wednesday's New Comic Book Day. You know, I kind of like walking in on Tuesday and just uh, uh, getting it off the rack at at, uh, at Best Buy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Dayton, you normally uh, pre-order off of Amazon or something, don't you? It it depends, but um, I'm gonna go ahead and go to the store on Tuesday and pick up the two disc set. So, right, uh, and right. then I'll I'll check to see what and I'll see if Target if Target has that Blu-ray. Special set. I might cave. I don't know. I, of course, I'm, I might just I'm saying this. Li- yeah, because yeah. eventually I'm going to get a Blu-ray. So why not just have it in my collection? Yeah, right. I haven't yeah. yet discussed that with my accountant. Right, right, you know, <laughs> yeah, right, right. So. Miles, I fired know. mine. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> oh. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Miles, do you have yours ordered? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah, I don't have my order yet, but I might. Uh, I might do that before I uh, before the end of the week. We'll see. And maybe I'll order uh, Blu-ray and regular, so I can watch it now and then watch it later when I get Blu-ray. Or maybe I'll just rent it from Netflix on regular. See what happens. But so something like that. So uh, you know, any any uh, has there been any Mary? Maybe you know this. Uh, any preliminary ideas? Sometimes you'll get a, a preliminary idea of how big the sales will be for the DVD when it's released. Do we know that? Are we hearing anything about that? Um, I'm not sure how pre-sales are. Maybe you guys know a little bit more about that. Um, you know, have they talked about that on Trek movie at all? I have seen nothing. Yeah. 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 I haven't heard anything. I don't, I don't know how they, I haven't, uh, I don't follow that stuff anyway. I just, you but know, I'm sure, I'm sure they're time... assuming it's going to be big. I mean, oh, yeah. different editions and all these promotions at, you know, several different places at Amazon, it's this promotion at Best Buy, it's this promotion. Right. You know, Walmart has one, Target has one. So, so you have to collect them all. On it being well, I'm just, but, you know, just the fact that that is taking place and that you're having these price wars between like Target yeah. and Walmart.com, you know, there, I think you can buy the one disc edition for 10 bucks. You can order it off of Walmart's website for like nine ninety eight or something. I mean, they would not do that if they didn't have reasonable expectations that the thing was going to sell. 
Right. Um, exactly. I would. I mean, that's yeah. just my gut call. I mean, I'm not a marketing and a guy, and I don't, and I'm not a, a guy who does this, you know, the sales stuff. So, I, but I mean, why would you bother all this trouble if you didn't think that people were going to come looking for it? Yeah, and I've had people that have talked to me at work casually. I mean, that's one of the things that, that I think is really interesting about this new Star Trek movie is that people that I never would have imagined would be that into it or even interested in, in starting up a conversation with me about Star Trek are are now t- approaching me like they were at the couple of weeks before the movie hit the theaters. Uh, asking, oh, yeah. Are you, know, are, you, are you looking forward to getting this on DVD? I'm going to go out and get it. And, and yeah. you know, what have you heard that's going to be on it? I mean, people that I just wouldn't expect to be that excited about any release. So this is great news for the franchise that this that we're getting this kind of excitement all over again. Oh, yeah. yeah well, what's great is what's great is it's going to go on sale next week. And if if by the weekend we're going to be if assuming the sales are there, we're going to be seeing the commercials about how it's the number one DVD and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then the next week the you're going right into yeah. – yeah, and then by the week at you know by the following week you're going right into post Thanksgiving holiday madness. Right. So mm-hmm. you know, hopefully, Perfect you know, some word of mouth and some yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. So it'll be great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's really exciting to see this. People are jazzed about Star Trek that never gave it a second thought or ridiculed it. You know, this yeah. time last year, mm-hmm. I got people at work you know that went to go see the movie because they thought it looked cool from the ads on TV and they've never watched an episode. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm yeah, a rock cool star thing. now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now we're cool. If only I'd been cool in high school. Um, the uh, the thing that's fun about the way they the, the the timing of the release is there's going to give people plenty of time to buy it and take it with them for Thanksgiving. What I'm what I can imagine is that there's going to be people that when you're looking for a movie for the whole family to sit down and watch and have fun when you're all together for Thanksgiving and you've all eaten and you're looking for something to do. This is a movie you can put in and everyone's going to like it. So uh, I mean, them them getting it in the hands of people before we all travel for the holidays I thought was a really smart move. And interestingly enough, the special features when somebody accidentally curses in the blooper reel or whatever, they bleep it out, assuming that probably families are going to be watching this together. Oh, cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it, it's, it is bound to just increase the incredible amount of money that this movie has made already. What, what's the price? I think it's $385 uh, million. I think if you consider domestic and foreign sales so. yeah that's that's i think that's the last number that i heard associated with it was i mean between 380 and 385 i don't think that it had cracked 400 but uh but yeah this is gonna um push it uh i would think well beyond even their expectations for how well this did right. and and i do think that it's gonna have some continue i mean if i could like put on my hallmark hat for a second we are doing things to try to keep interest in that and the original series. I mean, we've got uh, the ornament that we've got coming out for 2010 is the uh, Abrams Enterprise. They're looking at ways to kind of incorporate more movie images or, I mean, stuff that relates to the movie in our product rather than just going straight back to uh, Shatner Nimoy images. I think that, that there may be other licensors that are looking to the DVD to extend the life or the interest in uh, movie tie-in products yeah well it's definitely good for trek definitely good to be a trekkie that's for sure yes yeah well let's uh let's go ahead and wrap this up we're a little bit over time anyways and that's totally cool thank you guys for so much for just hanging out with us tonight and chatting about trek let's go absolutely thanks for the invite oh yeah before we go let's go ahead and uh, uh let's uh let's talk one thing you're really looking forward to about this dvc set before we uh wrap this up uh go ahead dayton start us out 
I'll just go back to what I said before. I'm interested in watching the deleted scenes and, and, and listening to the commentary just right. because the writers are going to be involved with the commentary, and I'd like to see the context of the scenes that were removed and, and, and perhaps some – some insight into why they were pulled and what the movie would have been like if they'd been left. All right. And uh, go ahead, Kevin. Um, I think what I would be looking forward to the most is trying to rope some people who did not go see it in the theaters to sit down and watch it themselves. I would I would love to sit down and watch it with uh, uh, a group of people who had never seen it before just so I could say, I told you you should have saw it in the theaters, you dumbasses. <laughs> All right. Uh, Miles, go ahead. Um, I'll be happy just, I mean, for the reasons I said before about the deleted scenes and the uh, behind-the-scenes uh, specials, but just to see it again, um, I, I'm sure I've missed stuff. I didn't get it all in when I first saw it, so now I can take my time and watch it a couple times and see things I, I missed before. Yeah. How many times did you see it in the theaters? Uh, I saw it uh, three times in the theaters. Uh, last time at... Um, Oh shoot! Um, uh, I, I saw it at the, at the experience when I was in Philadelphia. Oh, cool. So, yeah. how many? How many for you, Mary? Uh, three. And the last time I saw it was with uh, the Star Trek convention people. Um, it was the last time we kind of all watched it together as a group. The uh, the Trekcast guys organized that outing. Yeah. Very cool. Dayton, what'd you end up at? I want to say sixth. <laughs> Only because, and the first. Well, I mean, the first three came. Literally one after the other, we were. Uh, Kevin we saw it and I three were, times a week. Yeah, we. Yeah, Kevin <laughs> and I saw it as because a PR firm here in Kansas City uh, contacted us and asked us to come out and uh, in in uh, be involved in their promotions for the movie. So we ended up seeing the thing three times in five days or something, oh, twice wow. in yeah. one night or twice in one day. Yeah. You know, so and then I gave it a rest for a couple of weeks and then went back uh, with another group of people and then uh, my wife and I with some friends of ours went and caught it another time. So. And so, yeah, I, I, I was and after that, I was ready for a break. But I'm like Miles. I'm ready to watch it again. I'm ready to to have some fun with it. And then uh, and then after I've had my fill of that, I'll go explore the uh, special features. Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, on my fourth time watching it uh, on DVD here, it is, you know, I was able to pause it and look at little details, which which was a lot of fun. Yeah, you can't do that in the big screen. No. True. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing that I'm looking forward to is to find R2-D2. That's it. There you go. <laughs> that's my goal. That's my goal through the whole thing. That's your mission. <laughs> that is. That is. Well, why don't, uh, as we kind of sign off here, why don't you guys just kind of plug and tell people where they can find where you're at and where they can find out, buy your books and everything else. You can find me on the internet at www.daytonward.com. And from there, you can, there's a portal with all the links to the different social networking sites that I inhabit. You can stalk me on Twitter, on Facebook, on MySpace, and all that jazz. Or you can spam yeah, same in there, with, too. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, you can connect uh, with me through uh, DaytonWard.com. I'm on uh, – uh, I tweet as Kevin Dilmore. I've got a site on uh, Facebook called uh, Kevin Dilmore's Pop Culture Mayhem that you can <laughs> check out where I've got just all sorts of random crap that that uh, that shows up uh, on there. I think the last thing I put on there was uh, something about the uh, Batman and Doc Savage miniseries that starts up next week. Oh, cool. Cool. Mary? Uh, you can find me on fearlessradio.com every Monday uh, at 7 Central. We do a live show, and then it gets podcasted onto iTunes. If you just look up DVD Geeks on there, you can find us. And if you're interested in me, you can just find me on Twitter as Televixen. Yeah. And uh, don't forget, of course, that you know these two authors, some great books out there. Make sure you check out their books, and Christmas is coming, and so you got to buy something for the geek, right? Yes. Uh, absolutely. So, uh 
buy. In fact, I just I was telling Dayton earlier. I guess a tweet. I just bought the last World War, and I'm only. Oh, you're the one. Okay. I'm the one. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> that, that thing's at like six or seven printings nowadays. Right. Right. It? Well, I, d- I downloaded it for the Kindle. So, but uh, it uh, it uh, I'm only a couple chapters in, but liking it. So just thought I'd share that little plug for that. I appreciate that. Especially with the uh, the sequel that's coming out, right? Sequel's coming in April, finally. April, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Miles, where can they find you? Uh, I am uh, Son of Wharf at Twitter. I'm also on Trickspace, um, Son of Wharf at Trickspace. Yep, and you can find me, Herzog, on Twitter or the Sci-Fi Diner on Twitter. Both of those will get you there. We have a Facebook page. I'll put the link in our show notes for that. And uh, we just thank you so much for joining us. We'll, we'll see you next show. 